Hey, Howard. Hi, Paul. We're back and we're, uh, we're talking, well, we're talking of some linked things, rest, recovery, and an exercise addiction, which admittedly can sound like the rest and recovery part, I'm sure people are on side with, but the, the exercise addiction thing is really interesting. And I brought it up on Twitter the other day because I I had a, a friend of mine was talking to me about that he was actually getting therapy about his exercise addiction. And I had, I've run into people in the past who were triathletes and really top competitive athletes who either realized or it was obvious to outside observers that they were addicted to exercise, that they just, their life revolved around it. Not in the sense that necessarily I, I, I'm a, I don't know, I'm a professional blah, blah, blah soccer player and I spend a lot of time training. No, in the sense that if they weren't running, they were thinking about their next run and they were always amping it up and amping it up. And it's it's a real problem out there. It It is a real problem out there, but... 90% of the people who listen to us are shaking their head. They're like, not for <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> no, no, and I get that. I, I just, it's, I think most people's problem clearly is is motivation. But at the other end, you have this huge group that, not huge, but you have this group of people who, uh, and maybe again, it's bubbles that I that we both run in, and, and no pun intended. But I seem to run across I, a mutual acquaintance of ours, who I won't name, but we both run into on Twitter on a regular basis. A triathlete was talking about it to me the other day, saying how he was at a recently at a, a triathlon, or I suppose a masters level triathlon event. This guy's a long time endurance athlete, and it, he was saying what was remarkable to him were these people who not only had gone through multiple marriages as a result of their exercise addiction, <laughs> but were at the point of having just had a knee replacement. Were comparing notes on how long this other guy had taken after a knee replacement until they were back running marathons on their way to doing full triathlons again, which is just come on. <laughs> this is not a good idea, right? I mean, it's amazing to me. It's really interesting watching how the human mind works in terms of uh, addictions and obsessions. We talk a lot about people who struggle to get enough exercise, hmm. and we don't talk very much about people who who struggle to, to control themselves. I mean, and I'll, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Years <laughs> ago, I had a terrible problem with overuse injuries, which I didn't call overuse injuries at the time. I just thought, oh, I got a really screwy adductor. It's just stupid. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'll just do more. I'll just do more at you know at the adductor machine, and I'll I'll get to the point where I could like crush small planets by doing it. Induction, you know what I mean? Like it's whack. <laughs> It'll be so strong, I can just smash things. And it's like that's not the problem. I mean, it's good to be stronger, but the problem was it's just too much. It's too much of a of a of a well a good thing as we talk about all the time. This dose response relationship. You it can have such, too much. It took such a long time for me to realize that. I mean, I can say I wasn't truly addicted as we're referring to here yeah but i couldn't wait to run again and if all the signs were telling me to stop <laughs> and take a rest day i probably didn't or i would go hike or do something but i totally understand how people can get stuck in these weeds have to miss their their misreading cues and clues, right? They're slowing down, so they think yeah. they need to train harder. 
Uh, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Or in my case, do more leg adduction exercises or something. I mean, <laughs> no, it's exactly – that's exactly right, which is learning to not miss the cues and think that the right the right thing to do is simply apply a, a greater dose so I can get a res- better response is just – the wrong way to think about it but it's really it can be really hard to get past that point and i i think and i see this among my friends in the on the west coast here in the entrepreneurial communities there is something about that community that breeds and maybe that's what it requires to be a successful entrepreneur in some ways is it breeds a very obsessive personality where you you like things that you can really bury yourselves in and you can really get absorbed in cuz i see it a lot in that community where people are yeah i i can't i today's my long run day i thought yesterday was your long run day yeah yeah that was too it's like what are you talking about then you don't have a long run day you just long run all the time <laughs> right We talk about connecting the dots, right? We did that with insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. I do that here when I see people in the office repetitively with with these quote-unquote overuse injuries. I I talk to them about the fact that most injuries in runners are training errors. And then I get into a deeper dive about AFib and cardiomyopathies and hypertrophy and all these downstream ill effects of too much exercise. And they don't care. Yeah. They'll just they'll just put it out there. I don't care. I'll deal with that when it happens. Ah, It's very hard to deal with. We call that hyperbolic discounting, right? People <laughs> disproportionately discount futures that they should care about because they seem far enough away that I can essentially discount them to zero. Right. <laughs> right? right. And that's a problem because it's the Jerry Seinfeld had a great routine years ago on his I think it was on the Seinfeld show on his on his show, but he talked about how Morning guy and nighttime guy. I don't know if you remember that routine. It was a no. great routine. But the gist, the gist was is that nighttime guy doesn't care about morning guy. Morning guy's like, you should go to bed sooner. I need more sleep. <laughs> and nighttime guy's like, yeah, yeah, screw you. It doesn't matter. I got control here. I can decide what I want to go to bed. And it was that it doesn't feel as if from obviously they're the same person, or at least I hope they are. But it doesn't feel like you. I need to care about the consequences in the morning because at night I'm having so much fun. And I see that so much with 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 runner friends in particular i'll say i don't see this as much with like with friends who are you know avid soccer players or mma or mma guys this is not something i i want to get punched again today you know what i mean it's not something i see a lot of <laughs> but i see it a lot in people who are running who are who are in, uh, you know tr- distance runners trail runners any kind of solo endurance sport, and maybe again, this is selection bias. It could just be because I, I know too damn many of those people, but I see it a lot more in them than I do in people playing team sports, which again comes back to the idea of maybe something that you need to watch out for if you're if you're an active participant in in these individual sports is that let it have its place in your life, treat it as a medicine, but don't let it take over. Right, uh, it's runners and tries in. In my practice, probably a combination of both. And, I mean, if you can find the time to train for an Ironman, a full Ironman, yeah. uh, you're really committed. Uh, and yeah. it's not hard to take that over the line to a point where you're setting yourself up for just injury after injury. 
And then whenever, and I've watched this with runner friends of mine, where then it becomes to feel, uh, there's such an emotional feedback. Is if your life is really defined by these this training for these long uh, these long events, and I can't train anymore. It can seem, and I've seen this, they'll be dismissed by family and friends because it seems frivolous. You're depressed because you can't run 25 miles today? Come on, <laughs> be serious. But people have no idea. Whenever their lives become defined by these activities and have been for a decade or more, this plays so much into their emotional makeup and then just feeds through their whole life. I've watched people really, really have a tough years or more because they just couldn't, they could still do stuff, but they couldn't do stuff at the level they could previously. And it's easy to dismiss that and say, oh, there's a lot of people with a bunch of bigger problems. But so what? There are these people, there's a lot of people out there who really struggle with having, you know, created a vision of themselves that they can no longer live up to because of a series of overuse injuries or something else. And it's awful to see. They're chasing something that they can't catch, right? They're yeah, not yeah. having fun anymore. There's no finish line. As soon as they're coming to the end of this race and they're, this run and they're planning the next one. Yeah. No, it's 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 remarkable, and I, I, I've watched it happen too many times. Let's talk about how we manage our efforts and and and, and pace ourselves with respect to endurance and any other kind of activity. It can be resistance exercise, and the terms of art that get thrown around all the time here, I, I often think are really poorly defined, and then maybe this is part of the problem. But we talk a lot about rest and recovery, and I think most people have no idea what it means other than possibly I should make sure to sleep. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I'll hear people talk to me, oh, I'm having a rest day. I, what does that mean? Oh, I usually run 20K or 15K and I'm going to run like 5K hard today. That's not a rest day. What are you no. talking about? Right? Dr. San Milan had gotten into this with us. Right? Yeah. A rest day is a rest day. You're not running. You're not running slowly. You're not going to just run three miles or or cycle 10, you're going to rest. You're going yeah. to let your heart recover, your brain recover, your entire neuromuscular system recover, and you're going to let your muscles rebuild themselves. It's, it's really critical. I mean, I look at recovery or the so-called active recovery almost as something that you're going to do in preparation for a race, right? Yeah. So if you've been training and running 70 miles a week, 50 miles a week, and you're running an ultra you know, in two weeks, then the next week you're going to run 20 or 25 miles. Sure. That's right. an active recovery week. Yeah. But if you're training hard, if you have a really hard day, your next day, I'm not an active recovery believer in that next day. I'm a rest believer. You need yeah. a rest day. Otherwise, as we just mentioned, you're going to start to see that your work, you're putting out more effort and more work to maintain the same times. Your heart rate is creeping up. You're a little more short of breath. You're putting out a little more effort than you used to. You're starting to overreach and you're not realizing it and you're thinking about it wrong. And does that... I'll give you my answer on this, but I mean, <laughs> over over time, my my I mean, this is probably just an aging thing, but my my need for rest has really changed. I could get away with having consecutive days running twenty years ago. I and and I know lots of people my age who still run every day, but I can't. If I ran every day, I guarantee you, and I don't know what it would be that would break, but something will be a mess within a month. 
And I just, my body doesn't put up with it. And it could be my biomechanics. It could be a history of prior injury. It could be anything. I don't really care. But the bottom line is I need at least a day off between runs. And so what I at most do is I'll have maybe Monday, Wednesday, Saturday running or something like that. And that seems to keep things relatively in control. And I think that's, and this goes a little bit back to the exercise addiction problem, but I think that's really hard for a lot of higher-end people to do, but really competitive athletes. But I also think that people lose track of how that changes as they age. That at 16, when I was competing on the track team, we had morning and evening workouts and ran every day and everything else. And it's like, yeah, dude, you can't do that. <laughs> right? Right. I learned this lesson right back in April when I got my stress fracture at the right. beginning of the shutdown. And I got to tell you, I'm still dealing with the repercussions of it. My foot isn't still broken, but because of the downtime associated with that at my age, getting back up to pace, speed, distance, endurance has been torture. Um, <laughs> and yep. As you know, I've turned more to my bike, to cycling now, because I'm having such a difficult time getting back out on the trails. And so if I could go back six months, uh, eight months now, and smack myself in the head uh, to realize <laughs> what was happening. And I know, again, yeah. you're not a data freak, but I am. Yeah. And I saw that if I look at my curves, it was there. It was screaming at me that this was yeah. going to happen. Every day? Was it, was it every day or was it distances? I forget. It was both. I started yeah. running every day and I, I got my, I notched my mileage up because now I had every day free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It turns out free time is, is bad for our health. No, I, I, I totally get that. But it's been, it, that has been one of the hardest things to learn from me as I get older is that I, I, even when the opportunity arises, we'll be up in the mountains for a while. I just can't. I can't do stuff every day. If I do, bad things happen. And running in particular, as much as I love running, running is a particular is a is is an activity that for me anyways requires a real effort to fit in rest and rest and recovery because if I don't you know, there's just this, just too many things that can that can go wrong. And for whatever reason, with I don't have the same experience with cycling. I don't have the same experience with other activities. But I will say, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. I I I didn't really understand how important rest was. With I've become much bigger on resistance exercise over the years, and that almost sounds like a pun. Bigger on a resistance <laughs> exercise. I haven't actually become that much bigger, but that's a different issue. And I had no idea until I was talking to a few of my more gym centric friends that how built into that community rest is. That people really, I think, in the resistance community, in many ways, understand the importance of rest and recovery better than deranged endurance athletes do. I don't know what your sense is of that. They just, they get that muscles grow on the days when you're not using them. Oh, there's no question, right? They will not exercise the same muscle two, two days in a row. Yeah. They, they fully understand the repercussions of too much exercise. They all have friends who've had their pec fixed, their <laughs> biceps fixed, and, and they don't want to stay out of the gym. And kudos to CrossFit, but they really nail this home for their athletes too. Do but they, what's what do funny, they do? 
Well, they train each box will put together a program so that they don't overtrain on consecutive days. I see, I see, I see. Okay. I think it's funny because you, you and your running, the problem is when you start out, you may plan on doing a nice slow run, but then you get pissed <laughs> off at something and, I know, it's bad. and speed I was up. telling you that the other day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know. I'm childish that way. I have a very <laughs> fragile male ego crossed with its considerable amount of childishness, and so it doesn't take much to suddenly make me think, oh, crap, I need to go way faster than I was planning to, and then, anyways, bad, bad things happen. And then our, yeah. kids, our kids get faster than us, and we have to try and speed up to catch them. Oh, my kids can dust me now. It's not even funny. I just, I've given up even <laughs> pretending. At one point, I might have feigned a shoe that needed to be tied and, oh, sorry, I got to stop. And <laughs> nah, it's just, it's just, they're just way, way, way faster. So, so let's get into some of the markers here in terms of rest and recovery. And as you say, I'm less of a data guy than I once, than I once was on this stuff. I've gone full non-wearable anything. I was joking the other day that I'm like, I don't wear any any tracking devices when I'm running. I have nothing going on. I said, I'm like, literally, I joked, I'm like weeks from running naked with a gorilla mask on. You actually are more sane than I am, and you're actually tracking some of these things. Let's talk through this a little bit. One of the ones that I used to think I needed to pay attention to in terms of indicators that I needed to get more aggressive about rest and recovery, other than obviously I've just broken something, would be if I'm seeing consistently higher elevated heart rates for the same thing. Like I'm running the same loop as I did last week, and I'm either I'm slower for the same heart rate or faster at a much higher heart rate or something. These are signs of some level of fatigue that's kicking in. So... I think the most important time to monitor yourself is the first thing in the morning, yeah. right? So your resting heart rate, that's really the one thing I use the Aura Ring for. I couldn't care less what my sleep score is. It's, it's, it's garbage. But yeah. I'm looking at my basal body temperature uh-huh. right? because it's going to be elevated if you're overtraining or near that. You're going to see a lower or even potentially much higher heart rate variability, and you're going to see a higher a higher resting heart rate, right? If huh, yeah. my normal resting heart rate is 46, I can wake up some show mornings off, and show it's off. Show well, off. But, well, but it's 54 <laughs> or 55. It's really yeah. different. That's not yeah. going to be a good day. For sure. And that's uh, and that's a, a classically great marker and one that people don't look at, right? Because they'll look at their heart rate during the activity, but not necessarily what did you get to when you bottomed out at 7 a.m. this morning. Correct. Right? And that's a super marker. 100%. I think your resting morning heart rate is going to be your best tool as a short-term signal day-to-day. I think your heart rate variability, if you track it daily, either the nighttime heart rate variability with an aura ring or morning measurement with a chest strap or with your phone uh, camera, if you look over the long term, you're going to see trends. You're going to see your distance, pace, and everything increased. Then all of a sudden, your HRV just started to crash, as did your times 
and your performance. You will start to see these training errors. But yeah. again, to guide my day-to-day is definitely resting heart rate. During during the run or during a ride, my my new toy now is this DFA Alpha One. It's a complicated HRV signal, but what it's been proven to give you is your lactic acid threshold. I see. Okay. So it's fascinating. So your DFA of 0.75 is probably really close to your lactic acid threshold. So you don't mm-hmm. need to go to a lab and breathe in to a mask. You don't need to have your earlobe poked for lactic yep. lactic acid measurements. Or uh, run on a this, treadmill till you vomit or whatever. Yeah. Right. This will give it to you. And yeah. you'll see on days when your resting heart rate is up that you're going to cross that 0.75 threshold at a lower heart rate. And Hmm. on days when your resting heart rate is low, your HRV is high, you're going to be able to push a lot harder before you hit that 0.75 threshold. And that's meaningful because that's when your mitochondria are switching from fat burning to glucose. Now you're building lactic acid. So now you're going to get exhausted. So it's all hooked together. So have you when you've seen a worse HRV number, have you said to yourself, okay, I, I gotta, I gotta take today off. So if I, if I, like see, a morning so, number, I mean, so, right. So it generally comes together. So I'll get a higher basal body temperature. I'll have my, my HRV is down and my resting heart rate is up again. I'm going to put more in the resting heart rate from day to day and the HRV over a longer term. Why do I care about basal body temperature in the morning? I've, this is not something I previously considered. <laughs> so when you go to bed at night, your basal body temperature actually drops to yeah. enable you to go to sleep. That's sure. why it's good to have a cooler room. But if, you're, if your muscles are really active and churning and trying to rebuild themselves, you're going to uh, keep your metabolic machinery running a lot, a lot harder at night, and you'll actually heat up. So I you'll see. see your basal body temperature up 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, 0. 0.4 degrees as opposed to dropping 0. 0.8 or 1. Huh. And so you'll see that obviously in, in the morning is whatever the morning bottoming out number is. You will, and you'll see it. It'll, it'll correlate extremely well with your resting heart rate. Hmm. No, I hadn't. Well, I'll never know what with. I'm, a, I'm naked with a gorilla <laughs> mask, so what will I know? But it's a. I'm sure for people who use these things, this will be very useful. <laughs> so you don't have to wear the aura ring in public, so that you're not one of us. But you can just wear it at night, and yeah. no one will see you. I don't. I'm on a. I'm on a, a one man jihad here. It's just a thing I have. What other What other markers do you? I want to get into recovery in a second. But is there anything else that you look at? I mean, for me, I look at. I I have some known areas like back to the right. My right adductor is a known issue. My left hamstring known issue. Periodically, Achilles. When I start to feel something in these three or four areas, for me, that's just a seat of the pants. Yeah, I'm I'm doing too much. That's good for you. I mean. I, whether I run a mile or 10, I have the same pains. So yes, I missed my foot stress fracture. I should have seen that coming. If I, if I start to get groin pain, tibial pain, pain along certain areas of the foot around the metatarsals and where common stress fractures occur, 
Yeah. I'm going to stop. Yeah. So for me, for me, it's mostly just <clears throat> irritating old prior stupid injuries, and then I say, yeah, okay, this is <laughs> this is a really bad idea. So let's jump over to recovery for a second, just because I've gone full circle on this topic, like I do on most, and I used to, I used to be so pretty against a lot of the voodoo that goes on in the recovery side of things. And by active recovery, I'm talking not necessarily about Tour de France style active recovery, where instead of riding 300 kilometers, I ride 80 kilometers. It's not that kind of that. I'm talking more about the kinds of interventions people do that I see people doing that they think it's going to help them get better. It could be it could be some form of myofascial release in terms of massage therapies. I see people doing dry needling. I see people doing yes. cupping. I see people doing, I don't know, on and on and on and on. So I'll give my answer first, which is I used to think all of this was ridiculous, but if it made you happy, do whatever you want as long as you don't start trying to dry needle me or whatever. And, and then – I had a good friend of mine who's a really fantastic distance runner who claimed he'd been injured his whole life and found this 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 woman here in San Diego who does these uh, really is very effective at doing this myofascial release stuff and and it's, he claimed it kept him running and so I did it for like two years or whatever else. But I realized I had no idea. You know what I mean? I have no I have no alternate universe where I didn't use her. And so I had no idea how to compare the data from using her to not using her. So I decided, oh, I'll just stop because it's cheaper not doing this and I'm cheap. <laughs> and nothing changed. So I was like, okay, well, this didn't really do anything. But I just don't know anymore on this stuff. And so I've largely – I largely did very little in terms of active recovery that I'll do other than instead of running today, I might go for a bike ride. Right. I'm not a big believer in these modalities. Yeah. I certainly don't have the time for them. I'm a believer in rest, right? You need a rest day. And as you mentioned, it's not an active recovery day. I look at recovery days and rest days and rest weeks sometimes as being just a really important aspect of your training. You're yeah. giving your metabolic machinery and muscles a chance to repair themselves. You're giving your bone a chance to remodel and recover. You're eliminating or decreasing the risk of a chronic running-related or cycling-related stress injury. And you're decreasing the risk of overtraining. And if you know any athletes who've suffered from overtraining, it's a nightmare. Oh, these yeah. these athletes are crushed for yeah. a year sometimes or more. Oh, yeah. It can destroy a career. So these are very real risks and real issues that rest can help avoid. I don't think that cupping is going <laughs> to help anything. <laughs> well, that's my view, and I don't want to. No, not to give offense to the National Cuppers Association or anything. <laughs> I'm sure there is one. If it works for you, God bless you. I just, it's. I'm a data guy when it comes to this stuff, and it's just not obvious to me that what what it genuinely does. And as I said, with my my own experience and my reading of the data, is that it's at least equivocal, if not for us. So it's just a tough one to figure out exactly what you should do with. So I, I my answer increasingly when it comes to rest and recovery is that recovery is kind of a math thing for. For most people, it's really about learning how to rest properly. So you're a data guy when it comes to cupping and my fascinations, <laughs> but not for your resting heart. <laughs> no, I know. It's talk to my wife. I'm just ridiculous <laughs> this way. What's the what's the Emerson life? Foolish consistency is the bugbear of small minds. I'm inconsistent <laughs> about all this stuff to a dreadful uh. fault. 
as you look as you look out here and do you think people that you talk to are becoming a little bit more sophisticated about this or is in terms of this meaning the importance of rest that as much as you want to exercise that rest is in many ways equally if not more important do you think people are becoming a little bit smarter about this or is this still a a lecture you have to deliver no they're not i i mean I think that trainers are. I think yeah. that coaches are. So I think that coached athletes run a, a lower risk of injuries and overtraining. So, but I don't think that individual runners are are yet. That's my that's my sense as well. I mean, one of the most positive things, if you believe that a lot of what happens in pro sports in some way or another kind of leaks into semi-pro and then eventually down into amateurs, it's been very interesting over the last. 10 years or so, I'm going to use the English Premier League as an example, that it used to be just obsessed with running, 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 running. It was how, many, how far you ran, how many sprints you did, how much running you did in a game, a week, a season, or whatever. And finally, over the last, say, five years, they've become very aggressive about everyone's wearing all the players are wearing GPS trackers. You'll often see photos yep. from training and they're all wearing, right, they're wearing vests and GPS trackers. And they know down to a few meters how far they've run that that week, that day, that session. And they're managing it in a really aggressive way. And it's and it's paid off. There's great data showing that this, this new, this season aside, because it's been a bit weird because of the pandemic, but in general, the incidence of most overuse injuries related to running distances have really fallen off. And that's real testimony to people finally getting the message about the importance of, of rest. Soccer is incredible. I mean, especially English football. They they don't tear their ACLs often. They These athletes don't miss many games. And I love the series on Netflix on like Manchester City and their yeah, tanks and their rooms and the number of <laughs> trainers and their food and diets. It's really incredible. No, it's great. And, and that is what people don't realize is that how long it took to get there. Because 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was medieval. Absolutely. Right? And I mean, and in some ways, interestingly, and this is a side story for another time, but I was listening to something the other day where they were talking about how they got religion on this topic. And and a lot of it came actually from transfer of knowledge back from, of all places, the NFL. A few of the, a few coaches in, in uh, the Premier League, spent a little bit of time in the U.S. with U.S. soccer teams and got involved with U.S. NFL teams, and they saw this more scientific approach to managing players, which may or may not extend to a lot of things the NFL does. I have no idea. But in this specific domain of distance, that this was something that they could bring back to the Premier League. And so some of it came from there, which was interesting. It's really fantastic. And hopefully all these training tools are going to leak out to our bubble our bubble friends and runners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I won't be wearing them, so I'll rely on you, but nevertheless. <laughs> Thanks, Howard. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. And we will not respond to requests for medical advice.